0: Stones every day. Mm-hmm. I still remember when I had my channel, I remember my old school channel I had, I used to have you on, mm-hmm. I had James, I had JB on, now look at you man, you have your channel, this is good, so I'm excited to be on here, um, and we are, we're, we're growing the black, independent, leftist media space that we talk about for, yeah, it's been about almost two years now, but, yeah, uh, it's good to be on here,
1: yeah, definitely, uh, and this is, I, I'm actually wanting to, I'm glad you got into that because that's part of the, you know, um, one of the things I want to talk about, uh, before I get into that, um, I want to give a shout out to all my patrons on coffee. Uh, thank you for all your additional support. I am deeply humbled by your support. Um, and I want to give the thanks to coffee members, um, like, uh, like David, Michael, Kushrenada, socialist Cayman, Rebecca, See The Change, Robin During, Michelle D. Spunky Wombat, Robin, Eric Thomas, Carrie Matthews, and then the subscribers on Anchor, Anthony F- uh, Fazio, and Jeffrey Kramer. Thank you so much for all of your support, by the way. Um, I wanted to uh, kind of start off with something that you're very passionate about. Um, because this is also something deeply important that a lot of people really don't have, they aren't very aware of the aspects of it, um, and you have been educating people on it for over a year. And uh, you're currently one of the co-founders of 10 Demands, and that focuses on rethinking public safety and policing. Can you give us a brief summary of how you got into that and what inspired you to move to this
0: position? So this is thank you for this question. I this is something I've been passionate about because when you look at my route to where I'm at right now, how I became a leftist, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, I will say I will actually strongly anti-authoritarian strongly anti-war strongly anti-state mm-hmm. before I returned be, before I became a leftist
1: mm-hmm.
0: so when I When Bernie first ran and I give Bernie a lot of credit Bernie introduced and opened my ideas to the ideas of leftism and open and then that's when I started reading read into Marxism and then Marxism and anti-capitalist theory and thought, that kind of shaped me. Mm-hmm. But I was anti-establishment way before that. Like, I, I voted for Jill Stein mm-hmm. in 2016, not because she was a socialist. I voted for her because she was anti-war. I remember, I was like, oh, the Green Party is anti-war party. Mm-hmm. So I, I voted for them for that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I didn't like Barack Obama because he was pro-war. I was in high school when George W. Bush uh, wasn't president. So mm-hmm. i seen, like... The ramp up of the police state, the military state, and that's why I bring that up, because Mm -hmm. I see those as the same forces of oppression that is working under capitalism. It's an industry uh, designed to milk us for profit. Mm -hmm. And who who do they go after the most? Mm -hmm. They go after disenfranchised communities, uh, black people, and people follow these court trials, Mm -hmm. and and people see, like, are, are, are people being killed by the police? Mm-hmm. And then what kind of disappointing is how people kind of leave it there. Like when I start seeing this shit happen, I start researching. Like what what is happening? Because I used to think the cops protect and serve us. Yep. Like I used to, I watched Rush Hour, I watched all those movies, <laughs> the buddy cop movies. Yeah. Like, I used to see the cops, and I'm like, oh, they, maybe they are good. Maybe. Yeah. Then you just get life experience. You see, I, I was in high school. We had cop uh, cops in our school and shit. Oh yeah, me that too. Did that that yeah. did nothing but, you, and you can feel free to chime in whenever, but this, this question requires a lot of thought. No, <laughs> so, go so, ahead. So, um, so the, we have like cops in our schools, and there's been studies shown, those cops don't make us feel safe, they, they give us more anxiety. And it's like the introduction to the police state, and As you grow, you get uh, hit with regressive fines and fees, uh, you, you see them constantly pull over our people more, and like, you know, anyone who had a white friend or hang out in uh, multi-ethnic communities as well, like I have. I grew up in a strongly black community, but when I went to college, I, I met, well, hang out with a lot of white friends. We all knew the strategy. The white guy, the white friend drives. <laughs> like, if I drive, we're going to get pulled over. And it, it worked to great success. And even colorism has something to do with it. Like, the light-skinned friend most likely the one who want to drive at night, not the dark-skinned one. Yeah. And it's true. And once again, JP, feel free to chime in. No, yeah, yeah. But these are the kind of things that I saw growing up that mm-hmm. shaped me. Mm-hmm. So then when you research like the thoughts of abolitionists, um, like when you read from Angela Davis, who wrote in great detail about this, when you read about the abolitionist work of uh the Black Panthers and many of our revolutionary leaders, um mm-hmm. you you realize that this capitalist state is really built on a foundation of lies. Yeah. And that's when I start, and then awkward Zoya, the people I met attend demands. Mm-hmm. This is during the George Floyd protest, just to move forward a little bit. Um, and then we was like, we got we got all these protests going on, but protests without demands don't mean anything. Like what we like we need demands, mm-hmm. and they did a lot of educating me. Like I learned a lot for those from from uh, Zoya, cause we. When we were drawing the, the, the demands, they were teaching me a lot about literally about abolition as we was going. Like, oh shit, I didn't know that. <laughs> and then we, we as we was drawing the ten demands, and mm-hmm. it just a, it was a great group. It was a lot. It was a ton of us. It was like a lot of people in, in, in coordination, but it was mostly me, Zoya, Ark. Uh, we we had the um, uh, patrona as well. We were the four founders who actually sat down in and And um, I was in the George Floyd protest in Kansas City. Um, I had to tweet that went me viral when I got. Uh, uh, I got tear gassed. <laughs> wow! At the, and then that's when the story, and that was actually covered locally here. You had the police that literally were tear gassing kids at the KC protest, and I saw it. I and I was one of the people that was reporting on the ground when this happened, as a citizen <laughs> journalist because there was and just this a funny story. There was people protesting in the streets or our protesters at the at the, at the uh, park
1: mm-hmm. in
0: in, in uh, Kansas City here, right? So you had people protesting in the street. They had tension. They, they were like directly in conflict with the police, or whatever. Then you had some people who had demonstrations. There's some people giving speeches mm-hmm. to corners. Some people trying to talk to uh, uh, passerbys, But then you had a larger number of people who were just chilling next to the fountain, like kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe people who just want to witness the protest, mm-hmm. right? And there was literally a group of people. There, a group of family, once again, with kids, and. No one knows what set this off, and it, everyone who I talked to and I interviewed at the time, they was like, this was unprovoked. Then wow. the police started lobbing tear gas. Wow. And then, literally, the kids that were chilling at the the, the fountain got tear gas.
1: Wow.
0: It's something that the media ignored, but I was flagging on Twitter. I was tell, I, I showed a picture of me being tear gas. You can see the fountain next yeah. to it, and then was saying, this is the start of me my abolition war so I like see the police only is here to break up protests like there's a lot of people who've been through that in mm-hmm. Standing Rock and Ferguson yeah I wasn't there though like those those I only read about those and those, those helped shape me but I was at the George Pro- Pro- Floyd protest I saw the police be agitators I saw them tear gas our people unprovoked but I'll pass it to you JB because that's just a very short introduction because that's a that's a very that's a that's a great question to start off with because
1: hmm yeah um,
0: that's pretty much how got started, and then everything else has
1: been... You guys seen how that, it played out awesome from there. Yeah, it's just, you know, I, I and I want everybody, you know, if you haven't been introduced to 10 Demands, I, I highly recommend that you look into it. Because a lot of times people, you know, think, oh, well, defund the police, you know, what does that entail? That's just one aspect of it. And I think that it's important that people uh, go to a resource like this. And also, you know, I'm also thinking about having a 10 uh, 10 demands panel on my channel with you, Zoya, and all the other founders, um, if you guys are able to in the future. But, you know, I would like to, you know, put this information more out in the ether so that people start to learn and see that... Public safety can be taken in a much more beneficial and proactive direction. Um, and so yeah, this
0: education is is key in, in order to have a successful mm-hmm. left wing movement. So that that is exactly what we wanted to do with the uh, ten demands. So uh, thanks for sharing that. We also going to have uh, ten demands. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to have a panel on revolutionary blackout. We're going to do a few roundtables uh, doing abolition. Mm -hmm. Uh, education in theory heading into this next year so Mm -hmm. that's the that's the we got a lot of good plans uh, with 10 demands and despite the main narrative there's a lot of uh, momentum behind the concept behind defund the police the movement behind and role behind abolition it's a strong despite everything people threw out at it because it makes sense when you look at this stuff it makes sense right
1: yeah it does yeah you know, and uh you know, like there are some really common sense uh comprehensive types of demands that are in here, and I love how it's not an ask, it is not a request, it is not a position, it's a demand. I love that you you said demands because um you know, as the famous quote goes. You know, power concedes nothing without a demand. And so this is something that it must be conceded on, you know. So that's one of the things I also deeply appreciate about this as well.
0: Yeah, so we, we, it was really well thought out. And if you actually click on that, you can actually see the, we lay out local policy that you can push on. Like click on one of those. You see the down arrow? Like just click with anyone you want. It don't really matter. Okay. You, you, no, no, no. You, you see, you see how you can click on it. Mm-hmm. Click on it. You see that? Yeah. So <laughs> I had a debate with Garland Nixon when we talk about defunding the police, and mm-hmm. one of the things that people who criticize defunding the police, they always say, "All oh, these people, they have slogans, but What's your plan? I hear this all the time. What's the plan? Like, what are you gonna do? When you look at the work of actual abolitionists, mm-hmm. we lay out stuff you can literally do in your local community. Like, pass the breath act. Like, like these like for example, like these are actual policies, like that you can implement. Mm-hmm. And if you go down and click another one, i show, I just want to give you guys another example. Like, and then, you go. Know, so, click that one. I just want to show you guys Demilitarize the, the police. See? Mm-hmm. And the federal 1033 program that provides military weaponry weapons to local police departments. And do you guys know the reason why Joe Biden? effectively funded the police more because he actually expanded this program. And he actually uh, is on pace to send more militarized weapons to the police than Donald Trump did. So that's why we call it every one of these things individually out. So the people who are saying, oh my God, defund the police is too radical. This is why I call out the reformists because a lot of the things we actually ask here this is why we call it the road to abolition, because people are like, oh, my God, you just going to get rid of everything? No, we got a road. We got a very distinct path. So the people who say abolitionists, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't have a plan. They are purposely being ignorant, and they purposely shut us out of the conversation. That's why I must to Gar- uh, Garland Nixon, because he's one of the few people who ever agreed to debate me on this. I, I have had an open invitation about, from this ever since I created this group crickets on everybody. I, I, I talked to Glenn Greenwald on this issue when he was confused. I was like, we can talk about this if you want. <laughs> Anyone, I, I'm down talking to. So, because abolitionists do have a plan, and we're just one of many mini-group. Uh, eight, eight to abolition is another one. Uh, that's a group that was, I think it was created by a group of, of I don't want I don't want to misspeak. Sorry, I don't want to misspeak. But uh, they're, they're a great, they're a powerful group as well. There are a lot of groups that have plans to get this done. So, Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for highlighting this as well. It was good it's, we got, I we gotta have the boys back on. I'm gonna to, I'm gonna bring the boys back
1: on. <laughs> yeah, but I I just wanted to highlight that because that's something that's you know that you talk about that you advocate for that's very close to your heart and I think that we we really need to shine more of a light on and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you also on my show today, is because um we know how uh the police and law enforcement now target us as black people but we also know that they are protectors of capital which means that they will protect it from anyone that threatens to take the capital away from the oppressor that also means going after poor white people and if that's the case then this is also this would be who poor white people and working white people to adopt these policies and demands as well, because if they're not going to go after us anymore, once they're done with us, who are they going to go after?
0: That's why I'm extremely confused about the people who say we should build class solidarity with the right wingers who um, always fearmonger and they are extremely like anti-antifa. Like you see the people that fearmonger and antifa, and mm-hmm. people think that these are the people that we can work with. Mm-hmm. These people are, will quickly sell us out. They will mm-hmm. quickly sell us out, and what they they say, "Oh, we gotta build class solidarity." What they don't understand, and this is why right wingers have a very very poor understanding of class. If mm-hmm. you side with the police state over protesters, mm-hmm. over workers that the police state breaks up, you do not have class solidarity. Like you don't have class solidarity if you do not support the road abolition. As far as I'm concerned, going against the U.S. empire.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, really, the road to abolition is also coupled with um fighting against the military-industrial complex, is it not?
0: yeah, I, I, I see those things tied because they do they accomplish the same role. They provide capital and a way to shift the wealth from the working class that uh, pay the taxes and fund the government. Mm-hmm. and then they take that money create a complex, like the military-industrial complex, Mm -hmm. that uh, funnels money to weapon defense contractors, and then you have prisons that funnel money to uh, guards that live in mostly white suburban areas, Mm -hmm. Uh, you got wardens and their complexes and how they incentivize people. Like, it's literally a capitalist scam. Like, it's not for public safety, not for public health, Mm -hmm. not for rehabilitation. The way we run our society doesn't make any sense, so yeah um, the fact that we have people who think they are class conscious who defend this is beyond absurd to me
1: yeah I have a question from radical leftist agenda. He asks Nick where can my I find
0: the a... huh that's my big shout out to radical leftist agenda
1: oh yeah shout out to radical leftist agenda He asks where can you find a list of the list of c i a methods for infiltration
0: um I have it saved. I have it bookmarked because I tweeted. <laughs> like I, uh, so, uh, just Google see left infiltration. There's a lot of good information on that. Like even outside that source, that's mm-hmm. just one of many. I'm sure there's many other intel leaks that show operations of how they infiltrate mm-hmm. uh, socialist and workers movements. Another quick way to do it, and, and this is how I do it when like whenever I'm live, whenever I need to quickly find it, I just go to Twitter and I I, I search my name. Social CMA and CIA because you can find it pretty easily if you do that because that tweet had a lot of likes on it. So if, okay. you, if you so if you search my name and CIA, you will find that tweet pretty easily.
1: Okay, cool. Thank you, sir. Thank you for that. Um, yep. So I wanted to move on to the next question. Um, and this is uh, – So I want- you can condense this one. But can you give us a glimpse into your journey to the left and what was one of the biggest lessons that you learned that pushed you further left? Journey to the left. And what was one of the biggest lessons
0: up. that you learned that pushed you further left? Oh, sorry. I was, I was trying to fix the echo. Once All right, there, go. Go. there it is. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, how, what pushed me to the left? I will always, once again, I, I grew up, and I was I was um, in high school during the George Bush administration. And the reason why there was a strong anti-war movement that developed, and there's a, a strong anti-imperialist sentiment among our our age group, mm-hmm. is because of the crimes of Dick Cheney and George W. Bush. And when I when I, heard, when I learned about the Iraq War, that was insane to me. That was it was, yeah. <laughs> it was insane to see. So. I always was um, was like, all right, we gotta end that. So if you ask me, like, what a leftist is, anti-imperialism. That's and and I was an ignorant anti-imperialist and I was an ignorant anti-capitalist. So what I mean by that, once again, y'all, I, I, I was newly radicalized, I was a teenager in high school, so I was easily fall for propaganda. <laughs> that's the problem. Like so it's all always anti, so I always anti-authority. So i was like, man, we gotta end the war. So I saw Barack Obama get speeches like, yeah, I want to end the war. Like, yeah, I trust him. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's what I would do, right? I would trust these people. Then Barack Obama disappointed me. And I'm like, damn, I guess I shouldn't trust these people like that. And then I'm like, I never vote for these people again, straight up. And it was just that simple. I vote for Joe Stein. And I'm, I was playing before when I discovered Bernie, he, he led me to Marxist, anti-capitalist thought. And that's when I really shifted uh, to the left. And uh, I remember back when I used to radicalize people. Uh, back Even when the first campaign with Bernie. Like, even then, I wasn't anti-capitalist enough to call myself a socialist. I, I never went that far. Yeah. Like, and, I, and I remember when I used to sell Bernie the first time, I used to sell people like, no. well, he says he's a socialist, but he's actually not really a socialist. He's actually more of a socialist. <laughs> I, to, I, to, I, to, they, I, I literally used to do that to people. And I'm like, yeah, yo, don't worry. Don't worry. Like, don't worry. I went... <laughs> I went from that, I went from that the first term, then the second term, I was canvassing in South Carolina, well I was like, hell yeah, we need to embrace socialism, Bernie is the modern, like, I, the way I communicate was completely different in the two campaigns, but go ahead, JB. Bro, <laughs>
1: <laughs> for some reason, I see the Nick now, looking at the Nick like two, three years ago, and goes, man, that was so cute. <laughs>
0: I was stuck to, like the thing is I thought I was so leftist. That's if you were asking back then, I'm like, bro, you can't get how can you get further left than me? Like that doesn't make sense. That didn't wow. make sense. But now, I'm like, dude, I was fucking a moderate. I was I was pretty much a um I was like mo- like okay, I'm a, I'm gonna fuck my feelings up here, but if I was to be brutally honest about my politics, like pre Bernie Sanders I would say I was like more of a, like a Elizabeth Warren style, like someone like, oh, I think I'm kind of progressive on some things, but I did I wasn't really educated on like mm-hmm. and, what, and wasn't really talking about like state violence like that. Yeah. Like, and I was like, I I used to think like I would be I would be disappointed when uh, we didn't get justice, yeah. like whenever a cop would kill a black person, mm-hmm. because I used to think the system works. You you guys see the small differences. Like yeah. I, I, I didn't follow the trials now because I'm like, bro, I already know how this shit works. You know. Like, the system was rigged. The shit was broken, bro. Like, we win, take our Ws, but we don't expect shit. But back then, I used to watch trials of police on trial and people who killed black people on trial. Like, I used to, I watched the George Zimmerman trial, and I thought he was going to be guilty. <laughs> like, I had faith. That was, that was the liberal faith in the system, and that's the difference. Um, wow.
1: But it, it really speaks to how the Overton window has shifted so far to the right that even when you were canvassing for Bernie you thought you were at basically the mountaintop of the left basically it, it, it speaks to that doesn't it
0: yeah because I was because at the end of the day I still was the most radical among me so still despite everything I just told you think about it I voted for Joe Stein because I was anti-war I told you guys I didn't vote for Joe Stein because she was a socialist I'll like, I, I, I vote for her because she I, I heard that she called out Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. and Donald Trump in the Republican Party over the pro-war stance I'm like damn I like her I was like I, like, I like her, so that's what led me to vote for Joe Stein, and then as a black guy, still remember, I I rejected the Democratic Party because at that point, around 2014, I started to regret my 2012 vote for mm-hmm. Mitt, uh, for Barack Obama mm-hmm. over Mitt Romney, because I was like, oh, I cannot believe I fell for it, and I, that, that's when I'm like, man, they really fear me over Mitt Romney, I, I remember I was like, because that was right after George Bush Jr. Mm-hmm. So I was convinced that Mitt Romney was going to take up his mantle. I was like, all right, we can't let Romney win because he'll be just like George Bush. Mm-hmm. See, you see the ignorance there? Because Barack Obama was like George Bush. <laughs> so then I started to realize that later. I'm like, damn, I can't I can't make that mistake again. So that's why, I, despite, all <laughs> bots, despite all the bitching I heard from the Hillbots, despite all the bitching I heard from, uh, the buying bros now like bro, you can't convince me. I already went through this. Like the the thing you guys trying to try convince me to do, I went through this whole trauma a long time ago. You're not gonna convince me. So uh, I don't remember the original question, but that's that's what that's I, I was oh yeah, I was pretty far left, like compared to the general populace, because especially in the black community, saying fuck Barack Obama, like I'm done with them. Mm-hmm. That is pretty crazy, but I just I was not I had no revolutionary discipline. and that's why I, I, I stress people don't fall into anti-intellectualism like. Yeah. Like like if you have a chance, like learn more, like do some reading, like do that cause that kind of stuff help you uh, instead of me just being anti establishment but being all over the place and mm-hmm. like not, not not really knowing how to fight the struggle, falling for electoral electoral politics tricks, instead I, I didn't advocate for mutual aid like stuff like that back
1: then. Yeah. So absolutely. Of,
0: so so when you learn and when you like read theory, when you learn history you learn to be better at being anti-establishment. You don't need it to be anti-establishment, mm-hmm. but it, it gives you a guide. And I think that would kind of helped me do. Mm-hmm.
1: That that's great. It's also you know a stepping stone, and and, and you you start to realize because a lot of us, I noticed about myself is that I realized I was a leftist, I was a socialist all along. I just couldn't quantify it into words, and I didn't know the policy positions that jived with me and my values. And so once I found that out, once there was a word, you know, that that linked what I felt and how the, I felt the world should be, you know, once you start to figure out the semantics, then next thing you know, light bulbs start going off, and then you're like, wait a minute, because when I first heard Medicare for all, I was like, wait a second, hold up,
0: y'all like that makes sense,
1: yeah. <laughs> And, and and you start to just think about different things, like, maybe I wasn't lazy, maybe it's just I was exhausted because we're overworked and we're underpaid in a system that really doesn't value labor, it just exa- it exploits labor so that it can have more for itself. And so once you start to realize that, then you're just, you have... <laughs> I know you you're an atheist, but you have a come to Jesus moment on that and you're just like, "Holy shit, what? I've been I've been fooled this entire time." And then you start to realize it's all the propaganda and then you start to think about all the different things that have been pushed in front of you as far as propaganda is concerned. And so it's it's definitely a journey. Um and it opens your eyes a lot when it comes to the way the world works. And once you figure that out, then you feel this huge, giant compulsion to tell everybody about it, to let people know, "Hey, you're being fooled out here." And I think this is one of the reasons why you and I are in this space that we're in right now.
0: Yeah. So just like you said, like as soon as you heard fraud, it was like, yeah. That was my reaction like that. Yeah, that makes sense. What the hell? <laughs> what the hell y'all talking about with all the other stuff y'all? Public options, private issue? what are y'all talking about? Like it was like one something that clicked immediately in my head. While well, like okay, everyone else that's talking about something everything else, you guys are ridiculous. Like you guys are straight up ridiculous. So something that really changed my politics for to the point where I, I supported Joe Stein because she was anti war and then I supported Green Party at the same time because their their economic position was mm-hmm. Once you become class conscious, that's hits that hits you. And remember, I'm I am going through life as this stuff is happening too. Yeah. And then, so I am seeing people go through poverty. I am seeing people going homeless. I am seeing people work hard, like 60 hours a week, still not really making and climbing the social ladder. Then I so I, I sold cars for about three years. Mm-hmm. I see myself getting ripped off by the business class. Yeah. And then think about this. And this is something that impacted me a lot. As a, as a car salesman, mm-hmm. because I was pretty good at what I did, to be honest. So if you're a good salesman, and I tell you guys how to open, I'm like, hey, James, how you doing today? What's bringing you in today? What's your story? Why you need a car? What's mm-hmm. going on with you? So, and people love to talk. Yeah. So my process of doing this, I, this is why I call myself sales journalist, because I'm really so, like, I am kind of interviewing these people. And that that's the call, that, that's the, and if you're in customer service yourself, that's a, that's a trick, by the way. <laughs> like, kind of interview them, talk to them, uh, ask them about their problems. And like, when you do this stuff, customer to customer, oh, their car broke down and they can't afford a car payment. Oh my, I can't afford this car payment that I cannot possibly get lowered because my employer does not pay me enough. And not all of us in car sales are our comrades, but I, I promise you guys, I try my best to help people. Mm-hmm. And I hated the system and this is something that radicalized me. There's some smug sell- car salesmen That will like see someone income and they're like, oh this person broke, whatever, but I will see and I'm like You do what and you make how much like I didn't say this out loud obviously But this was going in my mind like people were like I will, I'm a teacher for 10 years and then they'll tell me their income I'm like What <laughs> I thought they made more than that. So I once again, I'm not saying this out loud. I'm not, I'm not judging them. But I'm hearing people's stories. I'm hearing people going broke. Like, people breaking down in tears in my, in, at my desk because they can't afford to, to uh, take another credit. Like, bro, I've seen it. Like, people think our car salesmen are heartless, and there are a lot of bastards in this industry. But if you talk to a lot of us, man, a lot of us are racklots. Because, where we go, we listen to people. There, there are mothers who, like, had kids. They didn't have no credit. I'm like, man, this is horrific. I'm like, bro, I'm going to try my best. I'm like, I'm dead serious. Like, I had it in... Oh after three years of seeing this shit, I'm like, bro, this system sucks the system of credit sucks, everyone's broke and I talked to people and they were like, yeah, my business is rock, rip, ripping me off And I had like a mass survey that lasted three years for me selling cars and then that's why I was like, bro I gotta do it that that's why I Vipsy quit that job because they were ripping me off mm-hmm. <clears throat> when, you, when, you, when it comes to sales you guys can help the car you guys can hate the car salesman all you want yeah but, but a lot of would try to take care of you. I'm telling you guys right now, there's only one person in sales, whether in car sales, insurance sales, or anyone else who is who is, who is screwing everyone else over. And that's management. Yeah. Management screwed us over, they screwed customers over. They were the only, the people in the suits, they're the only one who wins in this game. And that's something I realized. And I'm like, Mallow ain't part of this
1: shit. Yeah. I yeah.
0: tried being a capitalist and I was like, oh, this shit disgusts me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this me. too. too. So, was, you know me, man. I was in furniture sales. I was basically, like, one step below where you were, you know?
0: Yeah, they're not that's not judgment, guys. I don't want people to think that's judgment. Like, if you, do, if you have to do that, that dude, like, absolutely. Like there's, like, there's no ethical, like, consumption and like in, in the system and there's no way, like, ethically to make a uh, living. Like, you just got to do the best you do. I'm not, that's not judgment yeah. if you're in, the, in these capitalist structures. I think you just got to do what you got to do to survive until we get to the revolution, right? I mean, that, there, obviously, there's a line. Like, don't just, don't just crazy immoral shit, like, be part of, like, Wall Street who pollutes... Mm -hmm. like the the environment like there's obviously that line right yeah of course
1: yeah of course i mean even if i was still in sales you know i would be trying to do the best i can for my customers but it's just because i mean commerce can still exist in a just society but the thing is is it just seeing what i've seen what in sales and there have been times where People needed furniture. They needed like their bed and their couch and things like that and you know, and they would ask me for the most affordable thing and they still couldn't get it. And it was sad. So I I, I fully understand exactly what you mean. Um,
0: yeah, it's talking to workers. That's mm-hmm. what I'm telling you guys. It's talk yeah. and when I was selling when I was selling cars I was talking to workers. Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to people who need transportation most of the time to get to work? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it was very, very, very rare that someone come in unemployed. because yeah. most of the time they wouldn't be able to get approved unless they got cash. Mm-hmm. It just didn't happen. So I'm talking to workers, mm-hmm. and that will help me build class consciousness. Is when I realized the system, the system of credit is rigged. Yeah. How much the finance? Co- like I learned all about the finance companies and how uh, that worked. Why you guys think I'll rail against Wall Street? Like I learned about all this stuff. Like I'm like, you guys fucked up but you guys taught me how the system works in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then now I can rail against it. So, yeah. Um. That's that's how I became a leftist. Yeah. That's a very long-winded way of answering it, but that's that's it. That's how it happened. Yeah. And now, like, who knows? what I'm gonna be like in two years. Who knows? Yeah. Like, like two years ago, I'm like, this is it. I'm far left as I'm gonna be.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so who, who knows? knows. Like, who knows what happens when the climate crisis get worse, mm-hmm. They state capitalism get worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we continue to get sold out by a Who knows where I'll be in two years, yeah. where, I, where, I'll be ready, where I'll be ready to call for. It.
1: <laughs> yeah. My next question uh, has to do with us being uh, basically podcasters. What is one of the biggest learning curves you had to learn when becoming a citizen journalist in this space?
0: Oh, uh, tech. Tech. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I um i knew i knew how to code but i'm like programming languages i'm like that's easy but like all this tech issues i have i'm broke i got no good equipment so like even though i know basic computer shit i that don't mean anything if i can't get my equipment to work yeah if i don't understand youtube algorithms and all this shit it was annoying and and you you were part of my original strange i used to joke with my crowd because it's like my episode can end at any time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm to stream and my internet cut off. Just know hopefully we went for at least an hour. <laughs> yeah. So if look I figured it out after a long time. You got my camera still sucks. Uh, hopefully I get a good webcam one day. Um I finally got a good mic, a decent mic, because back in the day I my audio was terrible. <laughs> so mm. it was like that was the biggest obstacle, but um mm. Other than, other than that, uh, in, in turn again to the actual substance of what most people probably would care about, uh, in terms of actual content, yeah. Um something I'm still working on is is interviews because my old shows, and I still struggled with this on roundtables. <laughs> my own shows are used to be me. i would be on Twitch and I used to be just talking <laughs> for mm-hmm. an hour. Or so on the interview, like, All right, I got to be better at questions. I got to let
1: people
0: talk because I can rant. So that's to answer your question directly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's, a, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting, for some reason I wasn't expecting that answer, but I'm glad you answered that because I still have a little bit of a trouble with uh, that too. Um, So this is a question that I asked of, um, Rome as well as Sabi already. Okay, so this is going to be a hypothetical question. You are President of the United States. Uh, it's about to be January 20th. On your inauguration day, what are the first three actions that you are taking as president within your first 100 days?
0: So, before I answer this question, I'll let you guys know I'm dead by Monday. (laughs) (laughs) We know. We know. We know. (laughs) Because if you can have, in this hypothetical scenario where I am the fucking president of the United States, I am immediately. Get ready to CIA. Like that first day I'm doing. So that I I'm Not gonna make it to Monday. Um. Then I'm gonna start. Like it's gonna be hard to do, but I'm gonna start building rallies, building support okay. in order to start nationalizing in uh, a crucial industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the one. That's I'm like, all right, guys. I know we got a lot. We got a lot of work. We gotta sell this to a lot of people, but we gotta start taking this shit over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we gotta we gotta start the nationalization process of healthcare. Of of our energy grid system, of of, 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 like we gotta destroy the two-tier education system. Uh, I'm still learning about that, but um, like this, this kind of stuff. So that's second. So CIA military industrial complex. I think I'll wrap that up in the first one because that's part of the same umbrella. Um, Then the third thing is um, immediately because as if I'm the I'm the leader of. The country with the greatest sins, but with the greatest power. Mm-hmm. So, while I'm doing, I am immediately rebuilding. Immediately rebuilding uh, our brokenness system. That's nationalizing the country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm taking care of the rogue elements of the government. That's why I said, boss the CIA, get mm-hmm. rid of the military, industrial conflict, prison, industrial conflict, that kind of stuff. Then, now we're rebuilding. So, now at this point, we need restorative justice. So, now, third thing, Immediately provide reparations mm-hmm. for African Americans, Palestinians, Indigenous people. Immediately, immediately start land back operations. So I would be surprised if I make it by Monday, guys. <laughs> Monday, I'll be surprised. Anyway, so imagine the meltdown <laughs> that America would have if I ever became president. Can you imagine that?
1: Man, <laughs> what so, was that?
0: Mean, do I they're like, oh my God, Joe Biden. They need Congress, bro. Everything I just told you guys, I can, you can fucking start doing as a president. When I said nationalize the industry, I told you guys, as a president, I gotta start working on that movement. Mm-hmm. You gotta do that as president with the, with your influence. Use your use your influence to hold rallies, build support, and uh, once again, I probably gotta need lawyers. I need law. I need legal. <laughs> I probably need legal advice on that part. Yeah. But on anything else, on anything else you can do, like anything else other than that, that's probably the only question mark. Like, yeah. Anything else. I probably got to talk to a legal leftist scholar about that one. But when it comes to the military-industry complex, I'm the commander-in-chief. Yeah. That's why I was was like, oh, JB, you just gave me... I am the commander-in-chief. Yeah. I'm the commander in fucking. That's why when people pretend that uh, Democrats are... are, Oh, my God, what could could they do? Barack Obama, he's saying, war. what can you do? is the commander-in-chief, bro! (laughs) Like,
1: Like, look, if if you you can... If you can yeah. go to war unilaterally, then I can bring troops home unilaterally. Yeah, he could. If 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 you can do... Imagine how much good you can do for the environment by cutting the military budget.
0: James, I just want to introduce this quick thought, pass it to you. Okay. The president would not need congressional authority to pull out of a country that he never got congressional authority to get in there in the first place. So, go. <laughs> and that is that is why Barack Obama is irredeemable because and once again, John Lewis helped him do this mm-hmm. where he stripped the congressional approval for the president to declare war on the country, which led to Libya. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, my God, what can Barack Obama do? What can the president do? Everything because the president already been destroyed. The only congressional approval to go to war. So I don't need congressional approval to pull out of the war. If you was an anti-war president, you could easily make these legal arguments, even if they do challenge you. So, if you ask me what I can do as commander-in-chief, I will move mountains until they kill me. That's why they will have to kill me. I am not saying that as a joke. They will have to kill me. Like, if I was the commander-in-chief, like, if I had that much power, and once again, if I would say, if most, imagine someone who trusts the, the establishment, or someone who's a liberal heard my answer. They'll like, oh my God, you, you think they will kill you? You're a conspiracy theorist. There is no. no doubt in my mind, if I try to abolish the CIA and I try to nationalize major industry, that president is a dead man. <laughs> that's a dead man walking. Yeah. That, not even testing on land back reparations. That is the deadest politician I've ever seen in my life. I'll So that's a fact. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, the basically, is, trying to get rid of the CIA is suicide.
0: So what's the conclusion that we can make after that? the conclusion that we can make is I guess we can't have those things without on revolution. That's uncomfortable conversation. It is. I know it is. And I'm not, I'm not saying that jump to it immediately. Maybe we can prove in communities, but if you are actually serious about this stuff and I am, I think that this, that's the only option <laughs> right. to be real, One like, would... I, 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 to be real. So I, I leave it. I leave it at that.
1: Yeah. One would say you're deeply serious
0: yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um bernie
0: was, bernie was the easy way i told him bernie was the easy way when bernie lost at super tuesday i'm like okay I, my by any means necessary approach did not change <laughs> like if, it, if it's not by bernie we find another way to do it
1: okay this is uh, another question that i wanted to ask what is something that you're going to double down on in
0: 2022 oh yeah um so my answer would be um on the the fight against defund the police, but we talked about that before, so I'm gonna find something else um, <laughs> What else do I want to... So, that would be, so that's one answer. Defund mm-hmm. uh, the police, I want to drive home because people or the fear monger over there, they payin', they paying Joe Rogan a lot of money to mm-hmm. fear and drive people to the right on the state of the police state. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've been calling this out so aggressively because this is not a fight I'm, I'm going to back down on. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm going to double down on is pretty much continue to shift the Overton window to the left. So when I, instead of saying tax the rich, instead of doing that, which I used to do, um, I want to redistribute the wealth. And since we are people who, we are pretty much shut out of mainstream political discourse. Mm-hmm. I realized after being in, um, being a content creator the last year, I'm like, if they're gonna shut you out for being to a stream, you might as well prob the Overton window. And this is pretty much what Noam Chomsky did. This is pretty much what Dr. Cornel West did. This is what a uh, um, uh, did. This is what pretty much a lot of the great intellectuals I look up to did. Like bro, all right, if you're gonna shut me up, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to ask tough questions. We gonna continue to make the the argument for reparations. We continue to make the argument for uh, abolition. We yeah. continue to make the argument for ending all wars. Right. Mm-hmm. Despite everyone saying. Oh my god, it's gonna hurt Democrats. It's gonna oh my god, you got so unreasonable. No, I'm gonna make I'm gonna continue to make the argument, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for the answer to that question. Um
0: I like what Cam said. I like I like the question from Cam. You see it?
1: Uh Is it this one?
0: Yeah, yeah. It said what is it gonna take for that to happen though, Nick? I'm surprised people are in the streets already. Um to be honest, I'm surprised they're not in the streets, um, but until people, honestly, it's unfortunate to say, until people are actually infected by some of these issues, they they are not willing to form a coalition, but things are going to get worse, like the climate crisis is going to get worse, they'll continue to steal our wealth, and do not make any mistake about it, there are a ton of people who are fed up by the system, they just don't have any revolutionary discipline, they have no one pointing them in the right direction, there are people who are tired of the government, but then they get misled by someone uh, like bench Shapiro, or they may be, be misled by majority of court.
1: Mm-hmm. Just,
0: like people need guidance. So maybe a few like maybe a few more climate uh uh events, like once the homelessness crisis continue to get worse, once people realize that electoral politics, like a lot of people real, realizing with Biden and oh, this shit not working. Mm-hmm. I I would have thought that Bim would've happened, like especially after this two thousand sixteen, but um the only thing I can keep saying after this Question is, I hope it keep happening soon because I don't want, I don't want damage. Like like, the only thing I can say, the only thing I can wake people up is damage. (laughs) Like the police continuing to kill people, like people continue to uh, starve, like people continue to lose their homes. So then they say, we had enough. Mm -hmm. I understand that's a seller's theory, but that is historically what causes social change. So what I am saying, I don't want that to happen. I want people to wake up right now, but unfortunately, in our country. It's, people are so propagandized. Yeah. I don't think it's gonna happen without that violent revolution where people just snap. <laughs> like just snap one day after shit gets so bad. There's so many deaths because of capitalism. Maybe 2028, maybe 2036. But dude guys, the shit is about to get real. The migration crisis is about to happen. Like so many people, water is about to be poisoned and the ocean acidification rise. Yeah. The o- the the uh, the ice wall is about to melt. Faster than scientists say it's going to happen, so a lot of people will be displaced. What do you guys think is going to happen to social order when this stuff happens? So enjoy your YouTube and peace now. Because <laughs> this is something I'm trying to prepare myself for. Because like, this is the reality like, of the situation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is. That's uh...
0: why I have fun while <laughs> I, I can. I try to have fun while I can. I try to on some while I can because it's like. And and this is what people will say. People would say, Oh my god, you've been a doomer. People always saying to be the end people always say it's an end times. And you know my response to when people say that? Those people was right. Those people was right. So I'll give you guys an example. I'll give you guys an example. Imagine if you and once it sorry sorry for invoking Godwin's law. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. So imagine if you were a Jew in Germany, right? During mm-hmm. the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And like ten years before the Holocaust happened, when you started to see elements of shit getting real, you was like, oh my god, I think they about to start rounding us up. I think they're gonna start killing us. I think they're gonna, I think they put us in camps. People were like, oh my god, you're a doomer. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, you're a conspiracy theorist. If you lived in Flint, Michigan, and you was like, oh my god, I think they before the before it was official, oh my god, I think they're poisoning our water.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're a doomer. Oh my god, you're a conspiracy theorist. And then that's proven true. Yeah. If you're in one of those societies, like in Pompeii, am I getting that right? Pompeii or whatever? One of the biggest uh, volcano tragedies of all time? Pompeii. Pompeii, Pompeii, right? Pompeii, mm-hmm. right? So if, imagine if you're some guy in Pompeii, and like, ten years before that uh, eruption happened, you're like, oh my god, the environment, we feel like the volcano, because when I read into that, apparently there was some seismic activities, but it was so long since that volcano erupted, they were like, oh, whatever, that can't, no way. They was mm-hmm. like, nah. Imagine if you was that guy that was like, Oh my god, the volcano is gonna erupt. We are all gonna die They're like, You're a doomer. You guys see where I'm going you guys see where I'm going with this? Yeah. So when I when I give you guys all this warning about the future of the climate uh uh crisis, maybe we might dodge a bullet. But why not be prepared? Because it's so, because our idea of apocalypse, there are people who've been through apocalypse before. The Holocaust is an apocalypse. When you see what happened in, with the Hurricane Katrina all the people who died there, that's a local apocalypse. Mm-hmm. That's what—that's the point I'm bringing. Sorry, JB.
1: It, it sounds like apocalypses are typically sm- slow-moving and easy to see,
0: cool.
1: and they're gradual, and people usually Yemen. just don't pay attention until it's too late.
0: Yemen is an apocalypse. Yemen was a... Like, Yemen, before Barack Obama and the neoliberal establishment destroyed it, 15 years ago, if you had some guy in Yemen that predicted happened going on right now, you'd be like, oh, my God, you're predicting the apocalypse. Like, like I guess Hollywood and mainstream entertainment got people who think, like, apocalypse is a worldwide event. There are people that go through apocalypses all the time. 100 million dead indigenous people because of the United States. Hundreds of million. I think the number – someone remind me. I think 800 – Sorry, it's hundreds of millions. I I'm sorry, I, I forgot the number. Hundreds of millions of Indians that was killed because of uh, British imperialism. That is a po- that's an apocalypse in that community. Mm-hmm. So you guys see what I'm saying? So that's why when people when I when I warn people about climate change, when when people warn people about this kind of stuff, we're not being doomers. We're not being we're not uh, being like oh my god apocalypse. We're saying this stuff happens to people. <laughs> it just didn't happen to your into your bloodline, Cause apparently you're alive, your bloodline continued. but there are a lot of bloodlines, who was wiped out, because of apocalypse, so we got to figure out, how to avoid those, yeah. um, so hopefully I'll explain that, maybe i gotta do a segment on that one day, explain that concept,
1: yeah, definitely, well, that was uh, the more, um, serious topics, questions, uh, for the most part, for this, uh, this conversation, uh, There's something I wanted to ask you. This is a lot more lighthearted. So, Nick, what is the one food you cannot live without?
0: You're giving me, you're giving me canceled by the vegans, man. <laughs> <laughs> Cause <laughs> your boy back, my boy back in training. We got my boy, we got Muay Thai tonight after a long holiday vacation where I was eating a ton of good food. So once again, as a martial artist, as an athlete, to mm-hmm. answer this question, it would be steak. It would be steak. It would be protein because I'm kind of chubby now because I I, I I gained some weight because of COVID and I didn't I didn't, I didn't to train for like two I didn't I didn't train <laughs> for like two three years. So I gained some weight. I'm working on that right now, but. I, I grew up a chubby kid as well. Then I lost a ton of weight mm-hmm. because I discovered martial arts. Uh, that's the first time I lost a ton of weight, and I, I got really skinny. I was like fucking sexy and shit. That's because, um, and as, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people who talk shit because they're selling products, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, people sell diet plans, right? So it's all about competition. And what I learned when I as a martial artist was. And and you learn this when you read science and stuff. Everyone has a unique biological makeup in a way. Mm-hmm. So certain meal plans that will work for someone will be horrific for someone else. Yeah. And so what I learned throughout my my I went through a, a, a strenuous process like how the hell did I lose weight? Like, this is not work. This shit's not working. I learned personally for me like a a a ketogenic based diet. Like mm-hmm. a caveman-based diet mm-hmm. that is heavily reliant on protein, uh, fat, and green vegetables. Mm-hmm. That is best for me. Like, that's when I'm the sharpest. Mm-hmm. I got the most energy. I lose a ton of weight. I gain a lot of muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And now, and there's some people that say, oh, my God, I can't do that. That's that's horrible for me or whatever. But I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, maybe you should go vegan or whatever. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's some vegans like, oh, my God, fuck, oh, my God, ketogenic caveman diet. How dare you? But it, it makes me healthy. It helps me out. So that's why to answer your question. If there's any food I can't live without, it would be steak because it, it's great for you in terms of protein. As long as you eat a lot of green vegetables that go along with it, right? So mm-hmm. that, that, I love steak off diet and on diet. <laughs> so, uh, and I'll, I'll give you guys one cardinal sin because that's more of a kind of a healthy option that I gave you guys. Uh, my cardinal sin food, I think that's more of a fun answer, mm-hmm. is breakfast Breakfast food in general. So I love French toast. Oh, French toast. my boy! <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is it, like uh. a whole, cause dum, people who don't like breakfast dum, food, dum, you guys are weird, man. Like, I eat breakfast food at like, dinner. Like, I, like I'll, it'll be like nine p.m. I eat some waffles, man. Like, like I love me. I I haven't ate cereal for a long time because I have. I'll eat so much cereal. I used to get a big bowl. So I had cut it. I to tell, I'm like, bro, this, this is killing me. So, but. So my cardinal sin, to make a fun answer, would be like straight up like syrup, butter, waffles, pancakes, maybe some breakfast potatoes. Man, I love me some breakfast carbs. Then if you have some like bacon, sausages, eggs. My grandma, we used to have these big breakfasts. And, and I see my mom, she did, she'd make them too. Man, God, they had grits too. God, those are my favorite meals, so. Man.
1: The, the meals food, that give you the I itis. I eat breakfast
0: all day. <laughs> I yeah. eat all day.
1: That, that make you go to sleep.
0: Yeah, straight yeah. up. <laughs> make
1: make you sleep so long, you got the lines in your face when you wake up. You're like, you're looking like Tyrese Gibson when you wake up.
0: <laughs> yeah, see, now you got to see how I gained the weight in COVID. Because I wasn't I was training, I was eating salawa. I was eating waffle. <laughs> so to bounce that out, I just, so whenever I try to get healthy, to bounce that out, I just cut I, I'm, like, right, I'm going to just go protein, yeah. drink vegetables. That's what I'm doing right now, to cut it off. But when I'm like, when I, when I eat, when I was in South Carolina, man, I was eating Southern biscuits and gravy. Oh,
1: <laughs> Lord.
0: I, I was eating their chicken and waffle. Like, bro, Southern chicken and waffle. Like, oh. Yeah. It, man, you make me hungry. Oh, damn. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. So my next question is, man, I hope I, I hope you don't get canceled for this one. What's your favorite curse word?
0: favorites um, the reason why i'm thinking so hard is because i like all of them <laughs> all these, he's these like ways. which one and i have tried my best to grow with culture and i i told you guys i had i wasn't always the best ally I man i used to say shit that you know you shouldn't be able to say because i grew up around i'm not gonna repeat it <laughs> mm-hmm. but i said there's stuff you be around the black community mm-hmm. you're in stand-up like mm-hmm. so you hear the eddie murphy stand-up i'm gonna just say that right mm-hmm. you hear the eddie murphy stand-up and as a kid, I think that was cool to say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not gonna say it, right? Yeah. Deeply apologize to <laughs> anyone in my, my LGBT community, right? Because I'll I be I'll I be honest with you, I used to say all the bad shit. Yeah. So I phased it out, and there are a lot of people who complain about that, right? Like, like, oh my god, PC police. But I legitimately, as I got older, I'm like, I just don't want to say it. Like, I don't want to say shit that make people uncomfortable. Like, right? so yeah. people are like, oh my god, you, I can't say the F word no more. I can't say this word no more. And to me, it would never be done. Like, I don't want to make people. I don't want to make people sad. Like when I was young, I was like, oh, whatever. People. As I got older, I was like, well, this, that's fucked up. Like, I don't want to be. Make... So, um, that's why I think about like. So I'll say the F word, fuck, right now because like, there's so many private uh, applications of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that famous South Park video, of all the private... uh Actually, wasn't South Park? Someone made it of like. The... No, it's an old school YouTube video. There's no way I've ever seen it. Like it was a, it was a famous YouTube video from a long time ago. Like all the practical uses of the F word. Mm-hmm. I saw that a long time ago. So. Um, it can be used as a noun, a verb, and an adjective. Now like you can say, what the fuckity fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> you guys see what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm biting the joke from the video. That's the joke the video was saying. And like there's so many different ways.
1: Oh, my goodness. Like,
0: like if you, you can say it when you're shocked. What the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? If You can use it as a way to enhance a sentence. What the fuck? What the fuckity fuck? <laughs> Anyway, I I can you super demonetized now, but you you, you asked for it with that question.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> and also, regarding the N-word, I think someone left a comment, I don't know how to read it, but um, this is why a lot of white, why, a lot of white progressive and a lot of white leftists think they can use the N-word, they lost a goddamn mind, because mm-hmm. you guys see me on stream, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm perfect, I do use the N-word sometimes, mm-hmm. but... You guys understand the black community is not monolithic on this issue. Mm-hmm. There are black boomers and older black people that I would never use the N word around. Like I'll be, you guys caught me here right now. I'll be with Rome on streams like yeah nigga, someone nigga. <laughs> like, but I'm with my friends. So when I'm around black people in social areas, like we you gotta be respectful. You don't, we're not dropping in bombs, right? Yeah. I only do it with my friends. Like honestly, I probably shouldn't even be doing that. I'm guilty, right? So, if if we have to hold that back, why wouldn't you? Why don't you think you got to do that? That's good and point. and honestly, if I fuck up, and I've seen this happen before, where well, I say the N-word, and, and there's some guy like, actually, I'm not comfortable with you saying that. I'm not even going to y'all. All All right, all right, cool, right? I'm not going to say it. Mm-hmm. It's literally that simple. Yeah. So, if, if I can respect, some, uh, if I'm black, and a black person can tell me not to say the N-word, and I can say, okay, okay, yeah, I won't do it. I don't want to... If I can do that,
1: why can't you? Mm-hmm. So that's us I'm going to on the topic. Yeah. Good point. Thank you so much. We're running short on time. I'm going to ask yeah. this uh, last question really quick. So you're on your deathbed and you're reflecting on your life. What is the one thought you want people to remember about you?
0: Um, what do I want people to remember about me? This is a hard question for me to answer because, like, I don't really, I don't, I don't really put them. like, I don't, I don't, I don't, like, want people to think I'm, like, some sort of, like, t- like, amazing person or whatever. Only I was, I was leave people the message of, like, don't be sad at, at my death. Like, just, hopefully I live in, a, in an honorable way. Hopefully I live in a way that people can look up to because just to get real for a quick second, I'm not going to get emotional but uh, I still remember when my grandpa died five years ago, mm-hmm. and who and he was my number one, the number one positive influence on my life, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Mm-hmm. He was a family man who raised three daughters, never, ever yelled his voice at me. i never seen him yell his voice at anyone else before. Mm-hmm. One of the kindest men you'll ever find. He taught me so much. Mm-hmm. And there was so much sadness in our family. He was our head patriarch. When, wow. he, when he, D wow. Head, the grandfather of three daughters who had went on to have kids as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went on to say, and I was, me and my brother, we had to be like the, I, that was so devastating, especially for my mom and the aunts. We had to be the strong foundation. So I was telling people like, it's sad, but I got, I'm learning, and I'm gonna take anything he taught me and try to become a better person. And trying to teach him, well, like, we gotta love each other more. We gotta love each other stronger.
1: It's